Hey, what up? Thanks for listening to Work Stuff. On this episode, I catch up with another former boss of mine, Yako. I don't even know how to pronounce his last name because everyone just always calls him Yako. Um, I've always known him as the VP of Sales and Customer Success at Airbase, and he's actually the guy I reported to when I wasn't reporting to Antoinette who I interviewed on an earlier episode. He's a great leader, and when this was recorded, it was day two of his new venture as an entrepreneur, and we talk a bit about that journey. We also talk about his habit of working for large American companies like American Express and Google, despite living in Finland in his 20s, and how he eventually ended up in Dublin working for Dropbox before moving to the Bay Area as a sales manager, and eventually was chosen to lead the sales and CS team at HelloSign, when Dropbox made that acquisition and was merging those teams in late 2018, early 2019. Very much enjoyed working with Yako. He's someone I've learned a ton from. Always enjoy you know, any meeting or one-on-one that I've had with him and love the way that he really ran the team. And I hope you enjoy this episode. Welcome to Word Stuff. Can you see my screen? No, I don't think so, cause it's just for listening. I'm the guy who brings up Word Stuff at parties. stories casually told hey thanks for joining i really appreciate you making the time and carving out your busy schedule i know you have a lot going on i'm excited to like catch up and just see what's going on in the world of yako in 2023 yeah happy to be here thanks for having me right on i would just love to know i guess from the very beginning what were you thinking when you were starting your career what was on your mind of like you know i'm gonna go ahead and become this like what was that fill in the blank for young young Yako back then if there was was something how far in the history do we go like Yako five years old or like 20 I'm thinking like yeah like 20 probably when you're ready to enter the workforce awesome I'll just say because it's a funny story when I was five I wanted to become Indiana Jones because he traveled the world and he went to different countries and you know went through adventures so that was my like idol as a kid and i kind of feel like i've been on that track in a weird way um so when i was studying i studied international economy and uh, business in a university back home in finland and i think i always had this i don't know itch to live abroad finland is a tiny country i love it Mm -hmm. but it's still you know pretty small so i had this like curiosity to live live around the world and um I got the chance to live in Austria and Sweden and South Korea and UK, Ireland. And I always wanted to have a life that is just kind of international. And I think that that stemmed from just trying to know myself. Who am I? What do I want? So I don't mm-hmm. really think I had a plan per se when I when I started to study at the university, for instance. It was just um, I knew something international down the line, working in the world of sales was not in the cards that wasn't planned that wasn't mm. that wasn't the north star at that point so sure. something international and getting to see different cultures different countries that's as far as i knew at that point is that a common theme amongst the youth you know or adolescents in in finland to go explore like that um i feel like i have a handful of friends who've had similar paths but i wouldn't say it's common i mean it's a country that's voted you know the happiest country in the world five six times in a row so in a way it's a good place to be and there's no reason to leave per se i think i've just had this like some sort of inner 
curiosity since I was a kid. I remember asking my parents to like, can we please travel more? Like I'd like to see a new country or things like that. So I think it's just being inside me. Yeah. What do you think makes Finland like the happiest place to be like so, so, so often? I'm sure there's a variety of things, but like, I guess from your perspective, especially since you've had a chance to live in all these different places, what, like, I don't know, what, why is it consistently like number one or top three? Well, first of all, if you would ask any Finn, including myself, like, you know, the, the, the word happy and us winning a competition like that, we laugh because it doesn't, the national mindset, the national psyche back home would not relate to the word happy. I would use the word content maybe, but the study says what it says. Um, and I think there are definitely reasons for that. I mean, you know, it's a country that has a social welfare system that actually works. So the tax sure. money goes to, you know, free education, free healthcare, uh, things like that. So I think in a way, the basic needs of Maslow's pyramid are pretty well met. And that allows people to be maybe a bit more, you know, expressive and creative in their time uh, that they have. So that's my theory. And I think as well, there's something to be said about the four seasons so for us about half the mm. year is dark really really dark as in sure. the sun doesn't always yeah. come up even and then the other half of the year is super light so the sun doesn't go down so there's just kind of like cycle to life and i feel like people mm. have different connotations with the different four seasons so it kind of like lulls us into, us into this kind of pace in life that mm -hmm. somehow is comforting um at least for me it was I didn't know that Finland was that far north. Like it must be close to like, you know, how Alaska has those days, right? And then yeah. winter in the summer. So I guess I didn't realize that that was that far north and still, I mean, it's funny because in I used to live in Seattle and that was, you know, one of the most depressing cities you can live in. It has like a high suicide rate because of the weather. <laughs> it's, so far, it's so dark all the time. The rain has an effect there. So maybe weather isn't like totally the, the reason for happiness or unhappiness, but social welfare for sure. Would, yeah, yeah that helps <laughs> yeah that's funny so you wanted to explore the world and you got a chance to do that i guess um and and sales wasn't wasn't the route that you thought you would take um especially you know sales at a high growth startups in the in the bay area what was on your mind then and how were you going to go explore the world i wish there was like a beautiful story i could tell but it's been kind of i've been putting together the dots afterwards which is often yeah. the case but so i studied international business and as part of my bachelor's we write a bachelor's thesis and i wrote that about account management this is um hmm. what 17 18 years ago at this point and that gave me an insight to this world of b2b business and i got a chance to work at american express back home in finland so that was mm -hmm. kind of like my foray into the world of something salesy. And prior to that, before even studying in the university, I had worked in a hardware store. So very different kind of sales, yeah. um, serving, you know, construction workers and people like that, like nails and drills and hammers kind of stuff. Wow. Um, and I always loved the, you know, the interactivity of that, getting to work with people, you know, understanding their needs. But it wasn't really that much about like, I want to be in sales. It was just fun to interact with bunch of different people but yeah from the amex days then like i was working in finland in account management and felt like there's something out there like i want to do something like this but abroad and at that point um google was expanding to dublin ireland mm -hmm. and i somehow ended up interviewing there got a role 
and help them set up kind of like early days account management team for their um, AdWords side of business. So I got to move abroad, got to, you know, see the world of tech from like an entry role perspective and got to meet a lot of like-minded people. So I think that was kind of the true beginning of my tech SaaS career that moved from mm -hmm. Amex to Google. Yeah, that's pretty wild. I, I guess getting into Amex, I mean, I, I assume you had like a connection through university somehow, or, or did you do an internship? That's such a, it's such a big logo to land at that age. And it's also funny how it's an, you know, like an American Express, an American credit card company. Um, in yeah, Finland. very much. Um, I can curious how the, that happened. In the US. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I keep laughing. I, I had an early exposure in my career to American companies and, and I've kind of like stuck on that path, which I'm really right. happy about. But right. yeah, it actually, it was a university connection. So so in the program I was in, which was international business, our professor for the program had stayed in touch with a former student, somebody three to five years older than me who was in the same program. And this guy had asked the professor, do you know anybody who'd be willing to do first an internship? And then that might turn into a full-time role. And that's where I got interested. And I spoke mm -hmm. with the professor and was connected with this guy. His name is Alexis, still one of my best friends. We got along and I got the role and that's how it started. So it was totally, totally just a lucky draw. And I, when I think of international payments, like I don't think of American Express. Isn't that the one that like, you know, doesn't really work well internationally? Like Visa is the one that, that kind of owns that. So it's interesting that I guess you were in that those early days for Amex going international. Yeah, that was more um, local play for Amex. So we were helping mm -hmm. on the acquisition side. So helping companies to accept Amex so that they would mm -hmm. be able to like charge people using Amex. Um, there was more of that side within the Finnish borders. So American right. company, but very much a local play when it comes to the actual work. Right, right. Did you ever get flown out to Amex headquarters or something or like come out to the US a lot or was it, was it just all, all Finland? That was all Finland. I will say one of my favorite stories from those years was I wrote my master's thesis. I was doing master's on the side and I wrote my master's thesis for Amex about their card network and a surcharge that was implemented by the European Union at the time. That's a boring story. I won't go there. But anyways, wrote it for Amex and my thesis got sent to the CEO of Amex, Ken Sheno at the time. Wow. And they say he read it, at least browsed through and was impressed. So that was pretty, that was pretty cool. So I didn't wow. get flown, but my thesis did. So um, wow. that's something. <laughs> that's incredible. Yeah, your words made it over there. So I know physically not yeah. me, but my words did. <laughs> yeah, you made it at least to like the chief of staff or executive assistant's desk, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> at the very least. That's funny. Very cool. And so, yeah, like going and you stuck with American companies and, you know, I guess if you're going to work at a, a company based in America, Google is a pretty big one to to work for. Um, how the heck did that happen? That was, um, I don't even remember, to be honest. I remember looking at, somebody had mentioned Google coming to Europe and I just, just luckily started to look at their website and saw a role, an associate role, which means an entry-level role. Mm -hmm. And I uh, thought I'd put my name in the hat and uh, they flew me to Dublin for the interviews from Finland. Mm -hmm. uh, a few nights in a hotel, which was very nice for a student at that point. And um, I don't know, I just felt this connection like, oh, cool, these people are building something new. It's a bit cutting edge. Definitely is not old school, something new and interesting. I just love the spirit and the interviews turned out well. And uh, there I was like fast forward two, three months. Yeah. Moved from Finland to Dublin, Ireland, which ended up being pretty big crossroad for my career. Dublin is a bit of a 
hub for American companies landing in Europe language and the taxation that they have in Ireland is very beneficial. So um, mm. that was a bit of a crossroad that helped me in my career to live there. That's so cool. I, I interviewed at really only one big company that I would say, and it was HubSpot one, once upon a time. And uh, I realized I was like so grossly unprepared for this interview that it wasn't the laid back startup interview that I was used to. Is that the, the case with Google too? Like, were, was it very buttoned up and formal and like by the book? It's yes and no. I think still today, many Bay Area companies use the playbook that Google created back in the days. Mm. Um, they have four interview categories and this is all public knowledge. I'm not, you know, spilling the beans here. I mm. think one is one is uh, role-related knowledge. Then you have culture, Googliness and mm. analytical skills. And they test for those skill sets by having one interviewer focus on each. And then they do a, a hiring panel um, after the interviews are done and then talk about whether this person is a good match or not. So it was relaxed, but there was definitely a clear focus in each interview. Yeah. Best of both worlds. That makes yeah. a lot of sense. Yeah. That's cool. What's um? What exactly is Googliness? Um, yeah. <laughs> I still today don't have a good answer to that. It's yeah. the it's the kind of um, playful energy, entrepreneurial mindset, grit, all that put together. That's kind of like the hallmark of the Google DNA. It was many years ago. I'm sure they have a more formal definition for what it means, but yeah, combination of those things. That makes sense. Yeah, so it's, it's such a Silicon Valley startup like thing to to do like in an interview have a whole choice <laughs> for googliness I, I love it <laughs> wow that's awesome and so this was expanding into EMEA the AdWords business yeah the ad operations piece yeah exactly cool. um and so like I'm, I'm just looking at your LinkedIn now it looks like you spent a couple years there what was that like progression like it looks like you had like at least one promotion I'm, I'm curious how that jump works i'm really bad at tooting my own horn but it was based on performance nice. um, and and merit from that perspective google has a pretty healthy but rigorous levels leveling system so like entry level and they all have their dedicated number and a letter and so i think if i remember right i was promoted from whatever the entry level was to one or two roles above that which was the following role there and yeah, I think I spent a bit over two years at Google, something like that. And then kind of like was getting introduced to the world of tech. I realized that, you know, as much as I love the company, I'm still a big fan of them. I still have friends from those years, mm -hmm. both working at Google and, you know, no longer at Google. Uh, but I felt like it's, it was still a big, big company, right? And I felt yeah. like I want to try something, something smaller and like literally like a scrappy startup. Yeah. So I ended up going from there to a tiny startup based out of London, UK. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, I still look at my Google years fondly and um, yeah, cool company. Like in many ways, I think they created the benchmark for both hiring and benefits and kind of like how the modern Bay Area tech company looks like. Yeah, hundred percent. It's like you got to attract the best talent and you can't just give the best benefits to like the most expensive engineers, like yeah. even the, the junior ad, ad ops guys in Finland get the best uh, experience too. It's pretty awesome. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Nice. And so, I mean, I, I don't blame you. I would feel the same way. I would, I don't know if I'll ever work for a company like anywhere close to that size in my, in my entire career. Do you feel like you made the right move to, to go small then with the next one? Yeah, I definitely think so. I mean, I feel like, I guess what's been true for me, I'm, I'm very introspective individual. So I analyze a lot and think a lot about, you know, the moves I want to make and what do I want to learn? And I feel like 
having had few experiences at that point, kind of like a triangulation where you look at what you want to learn, where will you get that learning point, and then making decisions based on that. And I wanted to experience both the extremes, both a large behemoth like Google. And then on the other hand, I wanted to experience a smaller scrappy startup. And my theory at that point was if I know the edge cases, then somewhere in between there is maybe like my sweet spot. So that was kind of the hypothesis at that time. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. That's, that's definitely true. You'll find somewhere in the middle, I guess, if, if you don't like one, one end or the other, it's definitely an answer in the middle. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, tell me about kiosk. I, I haven't looked up a ton about them, but uh, curious how, how you found them and what was intriguing about that. That opportunity looks like a, a partner management role. Yeah, it was um, it was uh, more in the ad platform space that was still very hot at the time. And I guess it still is, but definitely more hot at that point in time. And um, that company was originally from Finland. So there was that Finnish connection. Mm-hmm. And obviously coming from a small country, I've always had a lot of pride in being able to help European and especially Finnish companies do well globally. And a former colleague from Google had gone there and she recruited me there. And that was pretty much, that was it. And we were an ad platform, um, more like from a visual commerce perspective. If you know how today in Instagram, a picture can be tagged with the products on it. Mm -hmm. You can click through and buy the product. So we built that way before Instagram did, but it was Mm -hmm. almost like too soon Mm -hmm. for that technology to thrive. But that was the, that was the crux of it. Like visual commerce. Yeah. That's, that's very interesting. It's interesting how like a lot of ideas that are so popular now, even like things like TikTok, like there's been plenty of apps already that do that exact thing. Yeah. But something about it um, wasn't the right time for the right, you know, cohort of teenagers to catch on to it and make it popular <laughs> uh, i don't know i'm not really don't really know what i'm talking about but uh, yeah, yeah distribution i mean now instagram is like yeah. and tiktok and all these other there's like handful of these that you know have enough eyes to look at them so that way you can like monetize yeah. that but at that point in time there wasn't one big platform i think facebook was kind of like getting started yeah mm-hmm. it's all about timing yeah seriously but um, i'm reading the description it looks like you had partnerships with very large companies, even though you are a small startup, you're managing relationships with eBay and Magento. I'm not sure what Bright Cove was, but mm-hmm. um, yeah. Like what is that dynamic like where you're, I guess you're used to like the big business Google brand, but now you're at this smaller place, but you're still in that arena with big partnerships. What, what is that like where you're, you're like the David and you're like partnering with Goliaths? <laughs> it was, it was fun. Obviously as a smaller company, you always have to justify our existence a bit more than if you have, you know, a big name behind you. So we were effectively creating a two-sided network on one hand, finding platforms that have a lot of products that they could distribute. Mm-hmm. Um, like for instance, Magento is a, yeah. was an e-commerce platform and still is. And then on the other side, we were trying to see if we can work with some of the leading video player technologies like Brightcove and like pair a handful of products from our database through an automated feed into their videos, wherever the videos go. So that was the, that was the idea. The company had pretty good overall like connections through our investors. So that helped to get to the right conversations. Um, so definitely a lot of challenges, but a whole lot of fun as well. Yeah, I bet. And it seems like those partnerships really was like the business development because you, you moved yeah. into head of business development. It's all based on these large partnerships, critical to the business, right? So that's really mm-hmm. how you're driving all that business. Yeah, if you can't get the product out there, then there's no there's no business. 
Yeah. And that, that looks like it's basically, that was like your first uh, foray into leadership, which I know is what you're really focused on now. Yeah, that was, um, I had a small team of like literally a couple of people that was helping the advertisers kind of like on board to the platform at the time. So kind of like account management slash post sales onboarding mash of a role um, that I was mm -hmm. running at that point. And I had not exactly like management in the typical ways of defining it, but I had, um, I was a platoon leader in the Finnish military 10 mm. years prior to that. Oh, wow. So that was my, my first kind of, I don't think I had it on my LinkedIn because, you know, it's not necessarily mm -hmm. that relevant, but yeah. that, that was my first foray to leadership. I was 18 at the time. So that was definitely <laughs> something was else. That, is that required service? Yeah, we have a call yeah. script. So um, uh -huh. military is obligatory for any male above 18. And yeah. then from that batch, they choose people to become first team leaders and then platoon leaders if you're performing well. So I got the yeah. chance to become a platoon leader for the Marines, which is kind of the same as Green Berets in the US. Well, so, I mean, we should start with your 18, not 20. That's super interesting. Um, <laughs> yeah, we missed those two critical years right yeah. there. <laughs> well, I, I think it's funny because like, now I'm curious what the requirement is. It's just like when you're 18 or um, can you decide when in your life to do that? And I'm curious, like, if so, did you just decide to get it out of the way and move on? Or is it something that you have to do at 18? I think the time window is from 18 to until you're 30. Um, oh, I and see. I had, I wanted to first secure a spot in the university I wanted to get to. So I did oh. one year in university and then decided to just get the military service out of the way. Wow. So my cohort of students went to second year. I shaved my head and went to the military, spent wow. the year there and then came back to, back to study. Wow. That's pretty wild. Is that a pretty typical, like finish upbringing then into adulthood and, and path or was that little yeah, off the beaten path. I think it is. I, I mean, yeah, it is a bit of a rite of passage, I would say. Like you kind uh -huh. of, and I, I mean, in retrospect, I loved it. You get to spend a lot of time with people from all parts of the society and everybody's mm -hmm. wearing the same and has the same hairstyle. So in a way, like it's very equal in that sense. And you get mm -hmm. to meet a lot of people you wouldn't normally meet in your group of friends, for instance. So I have a lot of good memories from that year. So that's why you're all very happy because you got that out of the way, right? So you, <laughs> you know, like, okay, we're off and I know how bad it could be, you know. That's hilarious. Yeah, I, I never thought about the uh, the happiness correlation with the military maybe. service, but maybe, maybe. <laughs> maybe, I don't know. I still think it's, uh, you know, socialized medicine and all that, but. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, a debate for another time. Very cool. Yeah, it makes sense that you would become a leader in that, in that world and it would transfer over. So I appreciate you going into that. Um, so obviously I think like the bulk of your experience and really where your career maybe even just took off, so to speak, was with Dropbox, mm -hmm. which is a super awesome experience. And I know I see a bunch of progression through Dropbox through six and a half years. And I know today I'll look it up right now, but how many, um, how many people were at Dropbox at the time? I'm seeing 4,000 almost there now in 2023. So I joined a team in Europe that was maybe, I want to say 20, 20 odd people. That was the whole European yeah. you know, team at the point. And the whole wow. company, let me think, it must've been somewhere between five and 700 employees, maybe globally. And uh, it was at series C at the point, four years prior to the IPO. And um, they had just launched the B2B product for Dropbox. Obviously it's originally a B2C product. Mm -hmm. um, and with the B2B product, they landed to Europe. I wanted to build a team around selling to businesses, the, uh, the business mm -hmm. business solution. And I just realized, was it with Dropbox or was it with HelloSign? That was with Dropbox. HelloSign came many, many years later. Yeah. 
Oh, gotcha. Okay. So you, you really did, you joined them as Dropbox. Yeah. And then eventually moved into the HelloSign product. Yeah. So what, yeah, exactly. So like fast forward, I first moved to the U S to lead another team for Dropbox in the U S and then the acquisition of HelloSign happened, I want to say 2018. Um, and then I got the chance to, you know, join the acquired company HelloSign and lead their pre and post sales teams right after the acquisition. That's very cool. And it's funny because you must've been competing against Google Drive, right? Like when you joined Dropbox. Yeah. Google Drive and then uh, Microsoft. Yeah. Those were the yeah. big Goliaths in the market. Yeah. And I remember box.com started to mm-hmm. become very popular. And then, yeah, it would have been Microsoft and like OneDrive. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. yeah. But the, so you're going up, you're kind of like at this scrappy startup now and in, in like going against two, you know, Goliaths again, and basically watching a Goliath almost like come to be in Dropbox over time. Yeah. It was a cool journey. And what an incredible culture. I think that companies are still look very fondly of, of the six, seven years at Dropbox and the caliber of people and overall, yeah, how the company operated. Such a cool place. Only good memories. Yeah, that's that's awesome. So it, I'm seeing that you're you're in sales and operations for the EMEA division and then moved into full on full on head of sales. I guess when you were head of sales, how many people were you leading at that time? So the first team I built at Dropbox was for the Northern European, so Nordic market. So Sweden, mm-hmm. Finland, Norway, Denmark. And I think I was the first, if I don't remember wrong, I was the first Nordic hire in the European office and then got the chance to build the team for the Nordic market. So that would have been maybe like six or seven people. And then quite soon thereafter, I took over the broader Northern European region, which would include German-speaking Europe and the Dutch parts and a couple of other countries. Wow. How do you even, like, this is before, I mean, you have Zoom calls and stuff, but how do you even manage like regional offices like that when you're not even physically there? Were you doing all remote stuff or were you traveling around to all those different offices? No, the team was actually, uh, so all the people were physically in the office in Dublin. So we recruited a lot of people from their native countries oh. and then and then moved them to Dublin. So that was the model and it worked really well. Wow, that's, that's super cool. And so you had the territory, I guess, of Northern Europe and, yeah. and all that. Okay. Yeah, that must have been, I guess, uh, I can only imagine like the number of stressful quarters, you know, that you've had under your belt, uh, which it seems probably just never ending. Um, <laughs> w- was it like that? In like, I'm curious what that experience is like, because like, you know, I've only had, you know, a handful under my own belt, and I haven't been at a company that big, but I'm curious, just as head of sales, like, is it that stressful to have like a number hanging over your head every quarter and, and it only gets bigger and bigger? Like, yeah, all, there's always obviously stress with the number, but you kind of get used to it after a while. And then you just find different ways to to make it there and I think for a company growing that fast what's fascinating for me is how the whole company and the support system and all the resources we started to have evolves with the sales team and that's Mm -hmm. really where a lot of the learning points lie in my opinion but yeah I know I've had a quarterly number for quite a long now and you know when you're having one for the first time it's a bit daunting but then you just you know that's the reality of sales and that's how the cookie crumbles so it just becomes a norm after a while. Yeah, and you get to a rhythm point. as well. Like you kind of know, you know, what to do in each month, and then before a new quarter starts, like where do you need to be pipeline wise? So you kind of like build a muscle and a routine around that, even in a fast growing company. So, yeah, yeah, that's super awesome. I mean, experience of a lifetime, really. I can only imagine what some of those like pump up meetings were like back back then. <laughs> but no, I know you give a good one. <laughs> so then you 
you're in Dublin and you're leading that sales force over across the pond and you found an opportunity to come to the States and actually work in the US at Dropbox still. So what, what was that transition like? And what, what was really like the reason for, for making that jump over into the US and becoming an enterprise sales manager here? Yeah, it was um, a long time dream for both my wife and I. So she had studied mm. in the US in San Luis Obispo and well, we met yeah. at Google. Uh, so that was kind of the uniting factor. And then um, I had at that point worked for a couple of American companies, Amex and then Google and Dropbox, but never in the US. And mm. I guess there's this competitive guy from the small village, you know, Southern Finland, tiny village that I come yeah. from that had this um, curiosity and as well willingness to show that you can, you can come from a small country and still make it to the Bay Area and work with the people who come from the Ivy League schools here and still yeah. do really well. So I definitely, you know, say there was a bit of a, the willingness to show the world combined with just the curiosity to live abroad again and, you know, be in the US and be where all the tech companies are, which is the Bay Area. Mm -hmm. So yeah, combination of all those things. Yeah. Just explode your network kind of at like the best time too. Yeah, um, exactly. I'm, I'm sure you brought like a very unique perspective to that team too, like how many people on your team were from or from the US and how many were outside of the US. And I assume you're probably in a small population there. Yeah, I, I mean, a small population of one, it was me and all the rest <laughs> right. were from from the US pretty much. Wow. Maybe there yeah. was a Canadian or two, I don't remember, but right. definitely North America. So I mean, it, it did, obviously, there's a cultural difference between even if the work in Dublin was in English, but that was with other European countries. Um, mm -hmm. So there definitely is a cultural difference between European way of doing business and then the American way of doing business. So it took me a good yeah. year to kind of like get used to that and add that to my tool belt. But yeah, such a cool learning point to be able to like do that and super honored to have had the opportunity. Yeah, that's pretty awesome. I think it's like so important to hire diverse backgrounds and yeah. just understanding culturally how people might go about a situation. It's very interesting. And then, mm -hmm. um, especially when your customers are probably diverse too. So yeah, uh, understanding it's those cultures too is, is a huge advantage. 100%. And so then now, now I think I'm correct now. This is where Hello Sign comes into the picture and they're looking for someone to uh, lead that, that division of sales for that product. Correct. Yeah. So we had acquired the company 2018 and then I was asked to lead the, the HelloSign team post acquisition and as well kind of merge them into the Dropbox sales machine mm -hmm. uh, or sales team. So um, great learning point to kind of work in a post M&A scenario and kind of see what, what did we do well and what we what we could have done differently uh, in a post acquisition situation. Mm -hmm. So that was a lot of fun, learned a lot. And that was in a way the catalyst for eventually then leaving the company because working with HelloSign, it was in a way a small company of 150 people embedded into a larger company, Dropbox. Um, mm -hmm. And then working with HelloSign, I just had a lot of fun candidly. I mean, you, you know, everybody knew everybody and pretty much mm -hmm. like no hierarchy, super flat organization. Everybody's, you know, sprinting in the same direction. So mm -hmm. I just loved the small company vibe that they had, even though owned by Dropbox, but still kind of like run quite separately. Yeah, that's, it's cool that they, um, I guess you're, they're trying to have you make their sales process better by taking what you, what Dropbox does, but also leave you be in your own corner and have your own culture. It sounds like. Exactly. That's well put. So effectively, like how can well, we use the more mature processes and tools that Dropbox had, but still allow the company to kind of do their own thing and find their own customers. And then over time, I think, I believe by now, they're pretty much blended the HelloSign team and the Dropbox team, but any acquisition, I mean, they always sound 
easy and and they yeah. look easy from the outside but an acquisition and and you know the merge companies it's years not months right yeah i can only imagine and that's just like not how my head works <laughs> with uh <laughs> getting things done or getting to a certain goal I like to move quick mm -hmm. right on so that's quite a story to tell i can only imagine like how killer that your interview process was you know coming into a company like airbase which is how we know each other you know you're you feel you have a special corner in my heart because you hired me you, like you actually said yeah. yes to me so always you're always going to be like thumbs up in my book forever because <laughs> of that likewise i would still say yes today <laughs> right on i appreciate that so i know hello sign i guess might have been maybe twice the size of airbase so i guess were you looking for just like a new challenge and kind of a new space at that point yeah it's kind of the story of when you work in a slightly larger company there are as a leader there are moments when you think like oh i wish i could have built this from the scratch myself um and then if doing mm -hmm. that, whatever doesn't go right, then it's my my fault and I can own it. So I mm -hmm. kind of felt like doing something, building something from scratch and doing that in the Bay Area with a lot of cool people and companies, as well working in a smaller company where you kind of know everybody. And I really wanted to learn from the founder and the CEO and as well work with the board to understand how that dynamics work, mm -hmm. how raising rounds of financing, how does that work? What are the dynamics? And what are the requirements from the sales and post-sales teams? So just the passion to learn more and see how companies are built before they become successful. So that was kind of the, those were the main drivers. Yeah, that makes a ton of sense. And it was um pretty key point in Airbase's, you know, trajectory to have a leader for sales and CS because it was like time to really explode. It was like series, mm -hmm. uh, I think just before the series B funding yeah. when, you had, when you had joined. Yeah. And um, yeah, that's kind of like make or break time. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like gotta start hitting some goals and getting some plays in motion and like getting a process going and having a leader to do that and go present to the board right like that's it's a whole new experience and you're you're a perfect person for that i think yeah i think those two years um a bit over two years i spent in airbase when it comes to learning points equates to i don't know at least 10 years in a, in a yeah, normal company just because sure. in a smaller company everything is compressed and every quarter is different and you learn new things every single quarter so um yeah it's mm -hmm. a good place to learn fast and yeah get uh, get the feet wet yeah and it's funny because it's it's kind of back to the payments world of of, of mx again where there's yeah full cards. circle yeah a little full, full circle i'm sure you brought some of that that knowledge to the table too i am, I am curious to ask though because you mentioned that it was like your first time really interacting with the board of a high growth startup which um <laughs> i know like if you're starting a company, you can decide whether you want to hold on to your equity and like build things yourself in your own way a little slower, or you go and raise money and then you have a board to answer to and you have to like kind of do what they say a lot of the time, or at least have good reasons for what you want to do. What was that like to to have a board to answer to and what what kind of things like did you did you not expect from that dynamic? Yeah, I mean, first of all, I have to say I think I was lucky. Um, Airbase has mm -hmm. had and has an amazing board. It's mm -hmm. a very um consultative group of people who are there to support the company and obviously everybody has an opinion but it was never carried out in a, in a forceful way and i think that was always a healthy conversation and the you know ceo founder tejo you know he has a strong vision and the board has always believed in his vision mm -hmm. so the dynamics was always really healthy that was the first company where i was direct, directly working with the board I was in the HelloSign executive leadership team, mm. but obviously it was bought by Dropbox. So I wasn't in the board meetings mm. because there were none at that point. But I have heard of other companies where the boards are 
maybe passive or not as helpful. So I do feel like I lucked out um, and yeah. was able to work in a company with a really solid board. But yeah, no, obviously at its best, it's a feedback mechanism. I think mm. if going in thinking like, what do I need to hide or how do I present the best self or the best image of my team? I feel like that's a way to miss out on the potential mm. feedback. Um, so I always approached it from the perspective of, here's the full truth and nothing but the truth. And please mm -hmm. give me, give me advice and feedback and criticism. So right. taking from that perspective, it was, yeah, I enjoyed it. Yeah. It's kind of like, like when I, when I'm running demos, I kind of want to make sure I'm very honest and upfront and saying, Hey, there's why you might not want, you know, this, this tool, or here's mm -hmm. why we might not be a fit. So let me start with the bad and then we can talk about it and strategize for it. And it might not be as bad as, you know, as I'm making it in my head. So I might as well be upfront about it. Yeah, exactly. Authenticity. And, and um, I mean, these people in the board, Airbase board, they have a lot of experience. Like they've been with some of the leading tech companies in the industry and, you know, they have big portfolios. So they would see yeah. make up mega trends faster than anybody else. So why not tap into that? I mean, that would be, that would be silly. Yeah. I, I thought Airbase did a great job of really introducing the board to employees too. They, they had yeah. a lot of like recorded sessions. I remember joining and just hearing every single new um, investor would have like a video interview or something that we would listen to and understand why they invested in Airbase and what, you know, they're seeing in the market. And it was just like very refreshing to be like, oh, like we're on the same team. Like, yeah, we're, we're going to help each other and, and learn from each other. And you're, you're making this bet on us too. And here's why I appreciate that just as an employee. Yeah. Agreed. Yeah. And so we had a lot of fun at Airbase. It was definitely a, a challenge. You, you know, the thing that I hear the most often from folks that worked under you is just that how great of a leader you were and how you have such good listening skills and you really connect with people one-on-one -on -one despite having, you know, dozens of people, you know, down, downstream from you. And so Tell me a bit about your your next venture, which which looks like you're kicking off this month. Yeah, it's uh, very timely as we're recording this. This yeah. is my first first day as an entrepreneur, and yesterday was my last day uh, working for Airbase. So cool, wow. great timing for for this podcast, right? If I look at you know, I talked about the triangulation, kind of understanding where do I find my passion, where can I learn the most. Um, if I look at what have I truly enjoyed the most in my career, it always has to do with helping people grow, helping teams grow, investing in leaders and helping leaders become not just better leaders, but like overall, like better themselves um, mm -hmm. every day. So that's, that's a passion I've had and being able to help some people in their careers and gotten some good feedback around like what I've been able to do there. And on the side, I've been very interested in this company called Conscious Leadership Group. Conscious.is is the website. And I've used their framework as I've been a leader on like how to approach conversations and how to bring authenticity into teams and cultures. And um, I had a chance to study with them and do a one year long coaching program, which mm. I'm about halfway through now. Cool. And kind of like some of those inputs combined with what I knew about myself and what I truly enjoy doing led me to the situation where I'm starting to build a company and build trainings for leaders mm -hmm. to do three things. One, I want to help leaders become more self-aware and do their inner work. And I'll talk about that in a second, what that mm -hmm. means. And sure. two, I want to help people be more alive and avoid burnout. And if you're in one, how to get out of it. Mm -hmm. um, and then three, if you're self-aware, you are fully alive and you feel alive and three, how do you become operationally efficient? So along those three pillars is kind of like where my passion lies and 
what I want to do both with individuals, one-on-one coaching, and as well with, uh, with teams. It's very awesome. Yeah. I think that you're, this is a great, great avenue for you. Um, you have put a lot of people to impact. Oh, thank um, you. So, so you said yesterday was day one today, Friday is day two. Uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> cool. Very, very awesome. And so I'm curious, what's the plan for the first several months here? Are you, um, looking to network and kind of get the name out there and, or I'm curious if you have some, um, uh, some early clients ruin. Yeah. A couple of different phases. First of all, the amount of small tasks an entrepreneur <laughs> yeah. has in the first weeks and months, it's a lot, right? Everything from getting your LLC set up and getting a bank yeah. account. And there's nobody else to help with that other than, you know, me and my two hands. Mm-hmm. So um, a lot of that stuff has been taking, taking up my time in the last couple mm-hmm. of weeks and um, I'm getting my website built that should be done in a week or two or so. And I've been spending a lot of time on the overall, the concept and the packaging and what do I really want to offer so mm-hmm. that I can then start to do my rounds mm-hmm. and a start to take in alpha and beta customers to run through the program that I'm building and give me feedback. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, talking to my network, uh, VCs, leaders out in the field to get first customers. And I have one company I'm working with at the moment to kind of like test out the whole concept, which is super exciting. So mm-hmm. yeah, lots to do in the first couple of months, but I'm excited. And I decided to approach this project uh, from a play perspective and, yeah. you know, trying to learn not to take myself or my career too seriously and just see like what would be fun what would be fun to build and yeah. how do I approach this as play? So that's my keyword for the, for the 2023 play. Love that. That's super inspiring. I think that's, that's such a fun, fun outlook on the whole thing. And I think when you do have fun and you think of it as play, it's uh, just a lot easier to do good work, you know? Yeah. It's hard to stay in that, in that frame of mind, but definitely worth, <laughs> worth the attempt. That's awesome. Well, I wish you the best of luck with that. I, I have some, some questions that I'll ask you that are kind of like random. Um, so I know that, you know, you, you talked about having an office in Dublin that, that you managed. And then at least when the pandemic hit, you were at Dropbox or the HelloSign division and then moved to a fully remote company in Airbase. So I kind of know, you know, that trajectory there, but what do you prefer? Do you, do you have a preference of remote hybrid or, or an office if you had a choice? I'd say, um, either hybrid or then remote with a lot of one-on-one interaction in person. So through Mm -hmm. clients or the companies I work with, remote would work. But I think I definitely, even though I'm an introvert, I have learned that I miss people a lot. I miss the, you know, Mm -hmm. in office, brainstorming, whiteboarding, grabbing a coffee vibe. And it's just really hard to get that when you're just sitting Mm -hmm. in your home office 24-7. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I think I'm productive enough and it's nice to be able to do other things that I need to get done. Yeah. Outside of work and not have like you know, things to do when you get over the weekend, but man, I miss just like walking by or talking about the game or some movie (laughs) or whatever, whatever comes to mind and you can miss those moments. So it's a give and take for sure. I know like you have have all the software experience in your career. Now I'm curious of all the software tools that you've used for work. Do you have a particular favorite that you are just kind of like a must have for you? Ooh, for work context. Yeah. Well, I want to stick in the work, the work context, like think of all the software tools in, in your career. I'm just curious if you have one that kind of sticks out. I, I have one that I, that I like, it's kind of a must have for me and, and I'll share it after, after you share yours. Yeah. That's a tricky one. I mean, Slack is a blessing and a curse. I mean, it yeah. allows us to connect as a community and, yeah. you know, have conversations and IMs very conveniently, 
but at the same time, it creates an absolute notification hell, mm-hmm. um, if not managing it well. So I have a love-hate relationship with, with Slack. And if I look at, from my past roles, like sales-specific Gong, I love oh, what yeah. they're doing. I think mm-hmm. it's amazing. It has up the game for so many sales teams and helps with like coaching your teams and managers and reps. So Gong is amazing. Yeah, I think those two, if I'm only allowed to mention one or two. Yeah, mine is definitely Slack. I'm very much into it and I know it gets noisy, but I think if you can find the right way around it. And I also haven't been, you know, ahead of a department with 60 people. So maybe that's a different perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and Gong is amazing. There's so many out there. I'm using a free one called Fathom right now. They're going to start charging us eventually. There's so many different little ones popping up because Gong was just so revolutionary, um, you know, five or six years ago. Yeah. And I'm sure any tools that will help teams communicate more effectively. I mean, that's what I see fail the most often. Like the tools that companies have are amazing, but Mm -hmm. when you're remote first, if your team does not communicate and communicate well and a lot, then, Mm -hmm. you know, the tools don't really do much. So Mm -hmm. I think that's still something that hasn't fully been solved in the uh, remote first world. Yeah, not quite. It's hard because like people solve like one little corner of it, but then yeah, it's it's the whole team dynamic and people have different preferences. Hard to cater to so many different people who prefer mm-hmm. chat or Zoom calls or in-person meetings or something. Yeah, um, spot on. Yeah. Wanted to just ask, I don't know if you listen to other podcasts, but I'm curious if you have others that you would recommend folks listen to, whether it's in business or storytelling, whatever. Yeah, I I do quite a lot, actually. I feel like I always have one or two pods going and then Mm -hmm. one or two books and then five other books that never get finished. (laughs) I'm the guy who buys something from Amazon like once a week, but actually never reads them. (laughs) (laughs) But but yeah, um, I have followed and still listen to the Tim Ferriss show um okay, religiously cool. i find him inspiring i find him to be a curious guy who's been able to summarize a lot of knowledge that i'm interested in mm-hmm. in a very short form that it's easy to listen to and i think he's an amazing interviewer as well um then i listen to uh, from like health perspective huberman lab so andrew huberman mm-hmm. is this harvard scientist who has his podcast all things health he's amazing i listen to more on the Let's say, I don't know, the word spiritual has a weird clang to it, but more on the self-development side, um, there's mm-hmm. people like Ram Das, who was a, you know, a Buddhist teacher, Tara Brock, another Buddhist teacher, more on the like meditation front, um, listen to them. And let me actually, I'm pulling up my podcast app here oh, nice. to see like, what, what do I listen to? Um, yeah. Every now and then, um, A16Z, so Anderson oh, Horowitz, sure. they have a lot of, a lot of classics. Then there's a guy in UK called Dr. Chatter Chatterjee. I think I'm butchering his name. (laughs) Uh, His podcast is called Feel Better, Live More. So again, like more on the health front. So there's a handful, but I'm sure there's like a whole more. And then, oh, uh, Sam Harris, he has a podcast and I'm a frequent user of his meditation app as well. So he's definitely up there. So there's a lot. That was maybe like (laughs) a fraction of what I actually follow. Yeah, it's crazy. Um, when I asked Antoinette, she said that the podcast that we were recording that moment was the only podcast she'd ever interacted with. Cool. Um, so it's funny how some people just like dive straight into podcasts like like you and you have like so many that you go in and out of and some are just like completely not listening to this to this world. Yeah. And I feel like I consume a lot of content through text and like I have to use my eyes. So I feel like if mm-hmm. I'm driving somewhere or Mm-hmm. Taking a slow walk, I feel like an audio format is somehow more easy to digest 
Um, unless it's something super detail oriented, then it has to be written. But yeah, I, I love audio. Same with audio books. I have at least one or two going every given moment. Nice. Cool, man. Well, hey, I, I appreciate you sharing. This was um, really awesome to catch up. It was cool to go through your career and just learn about your early dreams of, of going around the world and then landing at these big tech American companies and, and finding your way over to the Bay Area and, and uh, on a Zoom call with me and, and interviewing and, and hiring me. So that was a cool little way to, to round it out. I, I appreciate you, <laughs> of course, giving me the thumbs up. <laughs> that was a couple of years ago. Thanks, Andy. And again, it's always been a pleasure working with you and uh, glad to hear that and see that you have a podcast going now. So good <laughs> luck with that and uh, excited to see who else you interview in the podcast. Right on. Thanks, Jaco. I appreciate it, man. Have a, have a good rest of the day. Cool. Thanks, Andy. You too. Bye. Thanks for joining Word Stuff. Can you see my screen? No, I don't think so because it's just for listening. I'm the guy who brings up Word Stuff at parties my name is andy and i thank you for joining me work stuff a podcast professional stories casually told on work stuff